You're listening to the Tranquility Tribe podcast, an empowering space for all parents from conception to childhood. In this podcast, you'll explore your birth options, hear from experts in the field, learn to embrace self-indulgence, and prepare yourself for parenthood with Haiti. She's a coffee connoisseur, lover of deep belly laughs, a big-time tailgater, and your neighborhood birth junkie. From Mississippi to Massachusetts and everywhere in between, here's your host, Hee. You're listening to episode number 15 of the Tranquility Tribe podcast. Today I'm diving into nutrition, hormones, and infertility with Kelly Agnew. Kelly is a certified nutritional practitioner, otherwise known as a holistic nutritionist, who focuses on women's health. She loves to talk about burnout, self-care, mindfulness, all that jazz to help you find balance. Tuning all the way in from Ontario, I'm so happy to share your knowledge with our listeners, Kelly. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm so excited to be here. I love talking about all this stuff, and so thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm just so excited to share it with our listeners. I know they're going to love hearing what you have to say. So to get us started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into nutrition? Yeah, for sure. You did an awesome job sort of giving the big level recap. And so basically I'm a holistic nutritionist. That's what I tell people, but I always also have a massive passion for, you know, self-care, stress management, because I feel like there are so many different aspects to our health, not just nutrition, um, that I've taken a dive into that world. So I try to help on a more holistic level, but I am passionate about working with women around the world, struggling with their health goals. And in most cases, this comes down to balancing their hormones. So many women today struggle with imbalanced hormones, and that could be you know, their sex hormones like estrogen, progesterone, maybe thyroid hormones. It can even be stress hormones like your cortisol levels. And so I ended up getting into nutrition for probably the same reason most people do, and it was to take better care of myself and find some balance in my own life and find more holistic ways of supporting my health. So what ended up happening to me is I had a really bad case of burnout. I was working a corporate job, I was working in super high stress, and I put too much pressure on myself, and the culture of the company and the pressure I put on myself combined together just caused me to totally burn out. And at that point was when I sort of stumbled upon this holistic form of healthcare. And so in doing that, I started to learn that there were other ways to support my body. I started to notice that the food I was eating was making a big impact on how I felt. And so as I started to you know, take care of myself, feeling better, I ended up adding more and more things back into my life. So I changed jobs. Then I started studying part-time for nutrition. I was at the time blogging, using social media to try and create a profile and a presence online. Uh, My fiance and I were buying a house and I had a family member who was very sick. And so all this stuff accumulated once again and I burnt out for a second time. (laughs) And this time, I was fortunately equipped to support my body just because I knew so much more about, you know, the way to help myself with food, the way to help myself with self-care. I was going through the education for it. And at the same time, I'd already experienced it once before that I knew what I needed to do to support myself. And now I knew, I know I have to be much more careful and mindful about how I'm feeling every day because otherwise it can easily happen again. And so that's how I really started off passionate about stress management, passionate about burnout, but 
especially women's health in general, I've always been so fascinated with what women can do, like what, what our bodies do, conception, pregnancy, all that amazing stuff. And when everything is balanced, women have the ability to feel amazing and great and vital and we're likely to conceive, right? But when things are out of balance, those chances of conception are lower, we may not have as healthy of a pregnancy, we may feel worse, we may have PMS symptoms, we may feel exhausted, drained, all of those things that come with imbalanced hormones. And so while my passion is around you know, stress management, it flows into so much else in health. And so that's really how I got here, the long-winded story around it. <laughs> I love it though. That was an incredible journey and I could like picture it all as you were saying it. So the most fascinating thing you said was that women's body are, are incredible, right? So I get to watch babies come into the world, right? So I literally get to watch one of the most amazing things ever. And I just had a birth two days ago that the doctor, when the, when the placenta was, was birthed too, we got to talking about how that was such a fascinating organ and that it was incredible that only females have that. And it was just so, it is, it is. It is so I cool. could not agree more from everything, you know? And then I just think back about like learning about sex and conception and all of that. And I never found it like ugh, disgusting. I was kind of like, Ooh, I don't want to talk about this with my mom, like, <laughs> that's but it was never like, Ooh, that's disgusting. And I do remember people distinctly being like, that is disgusting. And I just never had that. And now I know it's because I was fascinated by it. I didn't, yes. I don't think I, I realized it at the time, but I think I did understand it on a deeper level of like, what this is, like you're what growing a tiny human for me yes still, still i don't actually i can't conceptual like can you even conceptualize that right so that is super yes i love 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 your journey so what about your what about your um focus on hormones how did that come to be so really it was because of my own particular experience and largely with the burnout and so with the burnout of course that affects your cortisol levels right so when that happens and you're under extreme stress for long periods of time, your cortisol levels can become affected. And it, the way that the hormones work in your body is that once one is out of balance, it can easily cause the others to come out of balance. And so when your adrenal glands, which are the ones that produce your cortisol or your stress hormones, once those glands end up you know, being a bit weaker, they're not producing the cortisol as necessary, some of your other organs will start to pick up like your ovaries. So your estrogen and your progesterone is going to get affected because your ovaries are going to start overworking to compensate for your weaker adrenals. Your thyroid does the same thing. And so when that happens, you might end up having imbalances in your thyroid or imbalances in your, in your ovarian, um, your ovarian hormones, which use your estrogen and progesterone. And so for me, fortunately, I didn't have any major impacts on either of those. I did have some hypothyroid symptoms and I did, I believe I would have had low thyroid hormone. I didn't test it, but I was also experiencing some weird stuff with my period. So my period would end up, would end up being delayed or it would be early or it would be late. And it was, it got to this point where it was really completely scattered. And so when I experienced the burnout, I realized, oh my gosh, this one thing, just too much stress can literally throw my entire body out. And so when I treat, I don't exactly treat, but when I help people and I consult with people through, you know, their 
adrenal support and stress management, I also have to make sure I'm tapping into those other things like their thyroid, making sure that's working properly. I also have to ask them about those other hormones, estrogen, progesterone, making sure they're not experiencing issues with their periods or with PMS, because again, they're all connected, right? So really that's where the kind of development of working with hormones as a whole came from, because unfortunately you can't just pick one. You kind of have to do it all. (laughs) Exactly. That is, yeah, you know, and it just reminds me so much about the journey of birth too so like it it does kind of it matters what you do prenatally and even it's weird because even things that before you were pregnant are connected to it like things that happen in your your teen years or your early adulthood you know like yeah it's pretty amazing it is connected it's all connected you're totally right so you know obviously hormones play an essential role in, in having a baby but Um, can you explain how you support people in the birth world specifically? Yeah, for sure. And so really the, the main part of, as being a holistic nutritionist, what we tend to do is we look at everything. We look at your health and your wellness as a holistic perspective. And so yes, nutrition, I have the background and the ability to work with nutrition in order to address infertility, address hormone imbalances, things like endometriosis, PCOS, like a lot of those sort of they're all, they're all inflammatory disease or other disease that come from hormonal imbalance. And so you can definitely use food as a way to help balance your hormones. And some of those things, especially PCOS, for example, comes with insulin resistance and insulin resistance is something that can be easily targeted with diet. And so there are a lot of big things you can do nutritionally for your diet that can support you through things like PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, any of these things to help ensure that your hormones are balanced and then you're clearly having a healthy egg produced and that you're ovulating regularly because those are some of the main things that are affecting people when they have infertility. And so, yes, nutrition is a big part of it, but then the other aspects are I look at, you know, lifestyle. How are you living your life? Are you balancing stress? Are you taking time for self-care, self-stress management? Are you exercising on a regular basis? Because that is another big portion. And then I look at some of the other things that people tend not to think about, right? Like what kind of toxins are you exposed to on a daily basis? There are something like called xenoestrogens. I'm not sure if you've heard the word before, but xenoestrogens are chemicals in our environment that we're exposed to on a daily basis. And what they do is they mimic estrogen in our body. And so they can end up throwing off the ratio of our hormones because they mimic estrogen, but they don't actually work like estrogen. So what your body does in response is it produces more estrogen. And so a lot of us have high levels of estrogen, which is part of the reason why we have things like endometriosis, PCOS, infertility even. But some cases it comes from just having an environment where we're exposed to these toxins in our cleaning products, in our health and beauty products in all the conventional products that are out on the shelf that we put on ourselves or you know touch on a daily basis. And I know that can jump down a huge rabbit hole to talk about these things, but they make an impact on your hormones and a lot of people don't consider it. And so my job as a holistic nutritionist is not just to look at nutrition, although it's a big portion, but to look at the other aspects of your life and your lifestyle and what you're doing in order to support your overall health. You know, it's it's funny that you mentioned the um, those toxins that are exposed that you're exposed to every day. 
I just recently wrote a blog on ongoing green, like for our listeners, I'm doing it in air quotes, going green. So I did it as much as I can right now. I have to do it in baby steps, right? Yes. So it's yes. Kind of hard to go green, like cold turkey. Yeah. It's really hard. So I'm doing it in increments because that's what I can do. But I just recently wrote this because I was finding like the most disgusting things in things that you use every day, your toothpaste, your deodorant, your face moisturizer, your toothpaste, things that go in your mouth, your toothpaste. That is so gross. Don't put anything in a tooth, you know, in toothpaste isn't going to, what? I just, I know it's unreal. It's unreal. This whole, whole world, you know, that we live in that has become so commercialized. And of course it came from long ago when we started to mass produce, but I'm so happy that a lot of people are starting to wake up to the idea that there are a lot of chemicals out there and so many of them we don't even know the impacts of. Like they've been grandfathered in. So only new chemicals are being tested. But if these chemicals have been around for years, they're not being tested. They're just in our products. And nobody is noticing an issue until down the road when people start to develop funky things like illness, even cancer. There's a whole lawsuit against Johnson and Johnson that's been out there for for years against a woman who claims that um, the baby powder or I think it was baby powder uh, gave her cancer. She ended up winning. Like it's just unreal the you know the amount of toxins in our in our environment and going green is definitely a step by step process for sure. You can't <laughs> do it all at once and so I you know I commend you just for even trying because a lot of people think you know oh, is it really that bad? Can it really be that much better? It can. It's worth trying. And it's awesome that you are. You know, and for me, thank you. But for me, it wasn't even like, can it be that much better? It was like, ooh, I do not want that disgusting <laughs> stuff on my body. Like I do feel okay, but ew, just no thank you. And and I tell you, people have noticed, so like um, my face moisturizer, I only use rosehip oil on my face and um, awesome. with coconut oil, I guess. But you know, people notice, they said when I first made the transition, people would comment and they still do every now and then I get people that comment on my skin or the glow or my color of my face, even like it, I honestly do believe that it, it made my face look so much better. Um, yeah. And I guess my teeth don't feel any whiter or healthier, but I definitely feel, um, like I'm okay to swallow my toothpaste if that were to accidentally. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Terrifying that you should call a poison control if you accidentally (laughs) swallow something that you are instructed to put in your mouth. Okay. Enough on the toothpaste. Let's be done talking about that. But so you know, I know that, that infertility and superfoods kind of get a lot of chatter. This is something that when you, when you're going through infertility, it is people's go-to, go-to thing, right? The number one thing that people tell you is start eating this or stop eating that or whatever. Can you, can you tell us about your go-to superfoods um, and maybe a little bit about your own journey and, and how you came to, to learn about this, these foods and infertility? So I'm going to throw you for a bit of a loop here because your question is about superfoods, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and I, you know, as a nutritionist, it's, you learn so much about sort of the basics, the foundation, the building blocks and superfoods. A lot of people like to go to them. You're right. They're the go-to people Google. Oh my gosh, what do I need to be eating to be fertile or to <laughs> before, you know, before conception, how do I prepare for this? And 
it's not so much that there are particular foods out there that are really, really good. Of course, there are some, but they can be your everyday foods. You just have to make sure you're eating the right kinds of foods. And so that's what I really want to jump into, if that's okay, is because yeah. it, it's less so about the specific superfood that's going to do it for you, because chances are it's not just one, but it's the whole kind of view of the diet that you're creating for yourself. And I don't mean diet as in like a weight loss diet, but I'm just talking about the way that you eat. So your kind of approach to food. And so largely when, you, when you're going through infertility or struggling with it, the goal is to balance your hormones, right? And so a lot of people experience imbalanced hormones for a number of different reasons, but the idea is to rebalance those so that you can have those normal periods, you can have regular ovulation, and then you can sustain that pregnancy. So the first thing, the first, first, first recommendation, and this is going to be kind of across the board no matter what, but is to have tons of fruits and vegetables. So many people are so tired of hearing about all the fruits and vegetables that you should be eating on a daily basis, but it's especially important when you are trying to get pregnant. Fruits and vegetables are gonna be your powerhouses for nutrients. So your vitamins and your minerals, those things that your body needs, the building blocks your body needs in order to perform the processes that it does, in order to build what it needs to in your body, in order to support yourself. It also contains, you know, those fruits and vegetables contain antioxidants, which help to reduce inflammation. Inflammation can be another reason why you might be experiencing infertility. If your body is particularly inflamed, dealing with other issues, your body's not going to prioritize making a baby. So, you know, antioxidants, anti-inflammatory foods, fruits and vegetables also support detoxification and elimination. And so when I'm talking about detoxification, I'm not talking this like woo-woo stuff, but I'm literally talking about the process that your liver goes through when it's detoxifying things from your body. And so what happens is your liver detoxifies, it throws out those excess toxins that have been detoxified into your stool, into your bowel movement. And then if you're not using going to the washroom regularly, you're not getting rid of those toxins as you're supposed to be. And if it sits in your bowel for too long, which a lot of us aren't very regular, they can be reabsorbed. And so now you're reabsorbing your toxins while you're adding new ones in. And then this is part of the reason why so many people are also estrogen dominant or high estrogen levels is because you are reabsorbing those estrogen hormones that are being detoxified because you're not eliminating regularly. And so having tons of fruits and vegetables is going to help you with just that simple natural detoxification process so that you're getting rid of those things. So that's my number one. Number two is lots of fiber. Again, back to the detoxification, fiber is going to help you eliminate regularly. And so it's important to have those daily bowel movements. So you're eliminating regularly detoxifying, but it's also really good for blood sugar management. And so when your blood sugar is out of balance, because maybe you've been eating too much sugar, too many refined carbs, then you're going to end up having those cravings. And then you're going to have energy crashes and then cravings and energy crashes. And when that happens, it can put an impact on your other hormones, like your estrogen levels, your progesterone levels. It can also cause inflammation in the body. And so to help you reduce those blood sugar fluctuations, you want to have lots of fiber in your diet because that's going to help to keep you feeling fuller for longer. Fortunately, you get lots of fiber from those fruits and vegetables, so you should be good if you're eating a lot of those, but just wanted to make sure to highlight the importance of that. The next thing is tons of water. We never remember to drink water, but water is so critical. I always tell people to target 10 glasses a day because 
you know how people usually say, okay, eight cups, you should be fine with eight cups. But personally for me, I need more like 10 to 12 to feel good. Otherwise I feel so dehydrated. And so know that it's a spectrum, but know that you need to have at least the eight, try for 10. The reason why water is so important is again, supports that elimination. It keeps things flowing through you, but also it's really important for cellular health, which means it's important for egg health. So if you're trying to get pregnant, you want to have a healthy egg. So water is a big, big part of that. The next point, so now I'm on point number four. So the first three were fruits and vegetables. The next one was fiber. The next was water. My fourth point is lots of protein. So the reason why protein is so important is that your body actually uses protein to build hormones. So if you're having imbalanced hormones, well, you want to make sure that you're giving your body those raw materials to make the hormones. So protein can come from lots of different ways. You can eat vegetarian forms of protein, like your beans, your lentils, whole grains have a lot of protein in them. You can also be eating your lean meats, So that's your eggs, your chicken, your fatty fish, like salmon is a really, really good one. And protein also can help balance blood sugar levels as well. And so as I was talking about, if your blood sugar levels are unstable, protein breaks down slower in the stomach. And so as a result, it means more balanced blood sugar because the energy is being released slowly instead of spiking. And the last one is my favorite. And I think this is one of the most important ones. I think you could argue actually they're all pretty important, but <laughs> this one is very important and it's healthy fats. Don't be scared of health. Don't be scared of fats, people. Like don't be scared of healthy fats. You need them in your diet. Fat is the basic building block of so many of our cells in our body. Like all of our cells are surrounded in a layer of lipids. It's fat is most of our brain is made of fat, right? So we can't be scared of fat considering it's so prevalent in our body, but then also the fact that our hormones come from cholesterol. If our hormones or not all of them, but most of our hormones are coming from cholesterol, well, cholesterol is a fat. And we're trying to tell people this, don't eat cholesterol, don't eat fat. Like really, <laughs> you're trying to build hormones, you're gonna need those building blocks. And so it's important to know that having good sources of healthy fat, things like your avocados, your nuts and your seeds, olive oil is a really good one. Like I said before, salmon, so fatty fish is a really, really good one. These are all going to be so important to build hormones, but then also they're high in anti-inflammatory components, anti-inflammatory fats, your omega-3, omega-6s. So that will create a much healthier environment for you to conceive. So those are my five. I know we didn't talk about any fancy superfoods really, but I want to really drive home the notion that a superfood can be awesome if your diet is already very good. But a superfood is never going to fix the issue if the overall diet is not quite there yet. I love it. I do love how um, intentional you make everything. That's very much a part of my approach is the intentionality of everything that you do. So I have a few questions for you about that. So will you see a difference in your body, maybe in your stool or your sweat or any of that when you introduce these new foods of this, you know, like all those fruits and veggies, or should you do it in steps? What? How do you do yeah. that? What, do you, what are you expecting? And so for fruits and vegetables, I kind of tell people to aim for about five servings of vegetables per day, five to eight if you can. If you're really, really good, eight to 10 is awesome. But getting to eight to 10 is really challenging, especially considering there are, you know, you still want to be having that protein. You still want to have those healthy fats. And so trying to do what you can as best as you can 
is what all you can do. But as you introduce more vegetables and more fiber into your body, you should be noticing, especially in your stool, actually, it's a good thing you brought that up because watching your bowel movements and your stool is a really great way to monitor how your digestion is going. And it's a good way to monitor if you're continuing to be regular or not. And so for me, I make sure that I have at least a, a bowel movement every single day. And so that's a very healthy way of doing it. If you have more than one bowel movement a day, that's also healthy. As long as they are full bowel movements, you're eliminating as much as you can, you feel good after them, and they're solid. Like they should not be, it should not be a diarrhea type bowel movement, and it should not be, you know, those hard pellets that are constipation. It should be a nice, easy release, right? And then that should be what you experience. Having a high fiber and a high, you know, lots of water being well hydrated will encourage and allow you to have those kinds of bowel movements. So, so if you're there, if that's what you're experiencing, that's pretty good digestion on your part. So that's one of the really good ways to notice. And when it comes to the fruits and vegetables, like I said, it's really just adding them as you can. If you are eating a lot right now, say, say you're eating a lot of rice in your dish. So you have a plate and you've got a third of rice, a third of meat, and a third of your plate is vegetables. Try to do a quarter rice next time and expand your vegetables to a half. You know, so you can kind of work that way instead of feeling like you need to do everything, start off small, you know? So it doesn't have to be major changes. And that's another big part about all of this is that I just dumped a lot of information on you. It may be very different than how you're eating today, but you don't have to do it all at once. Slow steps is always very helpful. Just like going green. Baby exactly. Oh, baby pieces here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So how will this change in pregnancy, these, um, these foods that you are recommending? So what does that look like? What are the foods that you say, like, these are important during pregnancy? So during pregnancy, you are looking at a lot of the same kinds of foods, because really what you want to focus on is those nutrient-dense foods that are going to give you the building blocks that you need to do what you need to do and to do what your body needs to do. So when it comes to pregnancy, really, you probably want to be focusing on this similar type diet, you know, lots of protein, lots of healthy fats, lots of fiber, especially important because that keeps you eliminating regularly. We know pregnancy constipation is a thing. So, you know, you want to stick with all that stuff, but you also want to make sure you're having a wide variety of foods. And the reason for that is because you need so much more nutrients when you're pregnant because you're, you're building a baby, right? I mean, it's, it's not just, you're not necessarily eating for two, but you are using all those nutrients to build another human being. And you use a lot of these raw materials, these vitamins and minerals, and you know, those things you need more of because now your baby needs them too. And so it's kind of the same principles, but making sure you're having a variety of different foods, definitely making sure you're having very nutrient dense foods, always whole foods, nutrient dense, which means, you know, for example, if you're looking at a, a piece of kale versus a piece of iceberg lettuce, which one do you think is going to be the biggest bang for your buck, right? The iceberg lettuce doesn't have as much nutrient value. It's not that bright green. If you look at what it's made of, it doesn't have as many nutrients as the piece of kale would. The piece of kale is that, that deep, rich green, lots of antioxidants, lots of vitamins and minerals. And so you want to be choosing those nutrient dense options because your body just needs so much more from its food 
And so that's kind of the way that when you're in pregnancy and when you're, you are having, you know, feeding the baby, encouraging that, that growth, you need to make sure you're giving your body what, you know, what you can through your diet. And it doesn't stop, you know, in pregnancy. After your baby gets here, if you choose to breastfeed, you're still that baby's lifeline. Newsflash, like it doesn't stop, right? You still are eating for two, essentially. Like, yes, they can eventually, you know, they'll be able to to take food on by themselves. But for right now, you're still feeding two human beings. Uh, The only difference is now they're outside of you. (laughs) And that's exactly it. And you're totally right. And so when you come to the point of breastfeeding and what do you eat for breastfeeding, it's very similar. It's the same kind of thing. Lots of nutrient dense foods because your breast milk, like you said, is feeding them the complete formula. It's proteins, fats, and carbs. Those macronutrients that we run off of, that's coming out of your breast milk into your children which means you need to be taking in lots of great sources of those proteins, healthy fats, and those carbohydrates. And obviously your breast milk is going to have tons of other vitamins and minerals in them, but you want to make sure that you're not depleting yourself because your body will always prioritize the baby, right? And so if you deplete yourself, you're not going to feel great. Yeah, no. So yeah, it, food is super, super important from from conception all the way until, I mean, really forever. You should just forever eat healthy, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you're doing it for the sake of your child until you decide that you don't want to breastfeed anymore. So from, from conception all the way to, to pregnancy, it's like a multitude of factors, right? That kind of, that, you know, play a role here. And you, you have to be aware of your stress levels and you need to be taking time for yourself. You want to be aware of your headspace and protecting that, that place that you are and you've worked really hard to get to and you want to be eating intentionally and, um, you know, eating either to get pregnant or to grow this tiny human. So what's your advice for parents out there who might be listening and feeling lost or stuck or overwhelmed, or maybe they think, oh my gosh, there's so much that needs to be shifted or fall into place for this to be me. Like, how am I ever going to get there? What do you, what do you say to those people? Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, there's different ways that you can approach it, right? Because if someone comes to you and they're already eating very well, then some of these things can just simply be light bulb moments that say, oh, maybe I just need to tweak these few things, or maybe I haven't considered the mindfulness aspect of it, or maybe I haven't considered the stress side of it. And that's what they go off and they're comfortable to go do that. But for some people who come to me and just are so, so, they seem so I'm going to put air quotes here so far from, you know, what I just mentioned as being the sort of diet or way of eating that again, you're getting back to that idea of baby steps. And it's knowing that it's not, you're never going to achieve perfection, no matter what you do and no matter who you are. And even if you do achieve perfection, you're not guaranteed to, to still conceive or have a healthy baby necessarily, because there are so many factors that are involved. And even if you're trying to stick to things completely perfectly, there are still potentially room for challenges. And so Perfection isn't the goal here. The goal is to do the best that you can with what you've got. And so when it when you start off and you're looking at all the different factors, like you said, the multitude of factors that can play into it, the first place that I go to is, okay, let's make sure that the foundation is good. Let's make sure that your egg health is good and that your hormones are good. Because if that's not happening, then you're just not going to get pregnant at all, 
right? If your hormones are out of whack, you're not going to get pregnant at all. And largely that starts with diet, but it can also have a little bit of lifestyle effects because if you're highly stressed, like I said before, that can have an impact. But, you know, really it's trying to pick one thing you want to do, maybe one thing a week, maybe one thing a month, whatever you can do the best you can. And then if you know you are planning to conceive at some point in the future, maybe not ready yet, but within the year, start thinking about what you can do today to get you there. You don't have to start a month before. It's actually ideal for women to start at least three months before because you take three months for you to develop that egg, right? And so for you to develop that cell and you want that cell to be a healthy egg. And so at least three months in advance, if you can start to take care of your body in these ways, it's awesome. And as you start to introduce new changes and you get comfortable with them, sometimes the change might even be simply trying to cook more home cooked meals, right? Instead of eating out so often. But as you get more comfortable doing that, you'll realize, hey, it's not so bad. I can do this. And then you're ready to take on something else, right? And it's not about overwhelming yourself, but it's about picking those few things that you know you can win those battles. And when you know you can win them, you'll feel good and you'll feel ready to take on the next thing. And so when that's kind of my advice. Sorry. And when you yeah. look back, you'll be able to see like how far you've come. That's always so empowering for me. It's yes. I really encourage people to do is like, turn around and look how far you've come. It seems like baby steps and you're only adding, adding teeny tiny things, teeny tiny steps, but it makes a big difference, right? It's like chipping away at that, at the stone or that, the. Yes. Right. So no, it's, it's perfect because I have a lot of personal experience with that. I grew up in a household and then this is, this is another reason why it's so funny. I'm a nutritionist now, but I grew up in a household where we had pantry of junk food and we had like four to five different kinds of yeah, ice cream right? at the time. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I just, you know, I binged on junk food all the time. And I sometimes look back and I wonder how the heck did I end up like healthy, you know, because I just don't understand how it worked. But you know, you, you take the baby steps to get where you are, because look at me, I grew up in a house full of sugar and now I'm a nutritionist. Not to say I don't have sugar ever, because I think it's important to have a healthy balance in your life of soul food, but then also, you know, the healthy food. But it's really just to see how far I've come. And I've only really made changes in the last eight years. Of course, eight years is a long time to make lots of changes. But, you know, coming from that total opposite place to where I am now, like it's proof that we all can make the shift and we do it at our own pace. Yeah, it seems like a, a radical change, but it didn't happen overnight. No. I think that's really important to, to point out. So do you have any foods that you recommend during the postpartum phase um, to help with healing and, and breastfeeding and those postpartum hormones? What can we do about that? And so again, this is where the hormone diet, the way of supporting your body and your hormones is kind of all comes back to those same principles, right? And so making sure that you have lots of those healthy fats so that those hormones are staying balanced, that you're being able to build the hormones your body needs, having that protein for the same reason. The healthy fats and the protein are going to help to manage your blood sugars. And so it's going to help to reduce any kinds of cravings. It's going to help keep your energy up and stable. It's going to also help with mood. And, you know, this is an area where postpartum, a lot of women struggle with, whether it's postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety or some form of just mood. They just don't feel great. And the best way to manage this is with your healthy fats, your healthy proteins, because that's brain food for you it has a huge impact on your mood. 
And so that is a really big place to focus a lot of your energy, to focus your energy on drinking tons of water, because if you're breastfeeding, you want to stay hydrated so that your breast milk is great. You want to make sure that you're having lots of those whole foods, because like we kind of said before, building that breast milk takes a lot of effort and your, your body is going to prioritize your baby over you. It's just the way that we're naturally made. And so as a result, if we're not eating very well, if we're eating, you know, a lot of refined foods, a lot of junky sugars, and that's where we're getting our energy from, well, we're not going to have enough for ourselves once we're done feeding our baby all the stuff, you know, all the stuff that we need, all the good stuff. And then we're going to feel like crap, like garbage, you know, it's just not going to be good. And so we want to make sure that we are eating whole foods, nutrient dense foods, and foods that support that, those hormones. That, that yucky feeling of not eating right, but also being exhausted reminds me of a sugar crash after, you know, like what a kid would have after a sugar rush. And that's what so many parents, I think, feel that when they're not, when they're not eating right. So for those of you who follow Kelly on social media, I'm sure you know all about her mason jar. And if you don't, you definitely should hop over to one of her social media handles and check it out. But I always see your jar filled with, um, well, water, definitely water, but smoothies as well, which I think are just wonderful glasses of yumminess that you can pack full of all the things. So can you tell us your favorite smoothie recipe for all the parents out there who are thinking, how in the world am I going to shift my eating habits this much? Because my answer is easy. Smoothies are a wonderful way to get (laughs) so many things in your body, right? Like they're easy, they're fast, you can take them anywhere, they taste great. And also they are such a fad right now. So like, hello, cool mom and cool dad. I mean, they're the thing to do. So get a smoothie and hop in that pickup line and your kids will be like, that is my mom or that is my dad. That's <laughs> I love the enthusiasm. That's awesome. I am just as enthusiastic about smoothies. So it's great. <laughs> I, I'm a huge fan of smoothies because for me, It was one of the biggest pivotal parts of allowing myself to make this transition to a healthy lifestyle. A smoothie was the way for my body to get those nutrient-dense foods in one quick, easy meal. And so some people can have challenges digesting smoothies, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But really, the framework for how to build a really good health-promoting smoothie is pretty simple. And so I don't have have necessarily a recipe for you. If you did check out my Instagram, you would see a lot of different ones on there and you could probably follow along with some of those recipes and try new things. But what you'll find is that my recipes all have these kind of four things in common. And so number one is you include something green in your smoothie. So having something like spinach, kale, usually just a handful of it is fine. If you're not big on spinach and kale because you just haven't quite gotten there yet, romaine lettuce is a good place to start. And as you get more comfortable with it, throw in spinach. And then as you get more comfortable, you could try kale every once in a while. So lots of green things, lots of vitamins and nutrients, lots of antioxidants, really good for you. Now, some people find eating those raw vegetables in a smoothie form can be a bit too hard on them. Like their digestion doesn't work so well. It can kind of give them cramping. And so to that, I usually recommend to steam your kale for like, you know, a couple of minutes, just until it's wilted a little bit. And then freeze it like that. And then just grab a little bit of that as you, as you need in the morning. And truthfully, I do this instead of having the raw form because I do find raw vegetables hard to digest. 
And so this is one of the ways to make your smoothie a little bit more easy to digest. So number one is something green. Number two is protein. And so if your smoothie is going to be a meal, so a breakfast, lunch, or dinner, you'll likely want to aim for 20 to 30 grams of protein. And that's number one to help keep your blood sugar balanced. But also number two, it's important to have protein at every meal of the day. And so it can come from different sources. I usually put in a protein powder of some sort. You can take collagen if you'd like. Collagen is, is kind of like another protein powder, but it's really good for gut health. But you could also, if you're not a fan of protein powders, you could also throw in nuts and seeds or a nut butter of some sort. Hemp, hemp seeds are specifically really high in plant-based protein, so that's another great way to get protein in there. And then the third thing is, I'm gonna say one to three sources of healthy fats. Usually in my smoothies, I put about three different things. This can be like nuts. I usually like to throw in a few, a few walnuts. You could put in almonds if you like almonds. It could also be seeds like flax seeds, which are very high in fiber too. Chia seeds, also high in fiber. Could be hemp seeds, sunflower seeds. Any of those, they're gonna be high in those healthy omega-3, omega-6s, which are those essential fatty acids. Awesome for hormones and awesome for brain health. You could also throw in a part of an avocado. You could throw in some coconut oil or coconut milk. And I say one to three sources because if you're not really used to eating a lot of fat, don't just go crazy with the fat right away because your body needs to adjust a little bit. Try one source, then maybe try two. I usually do walnuts and flax seeds in mine or hemp seeds and flax seeds. And then number four is fiber. So making sure you always have a form of fiber in your smoothie. My way of doing this is the flaxseed, chia seed, avocado. Any of those provide lots of fiber. And so you're kind of hitting two things with one, right? You're getting the healthy fats and the fiber at the same time in that ingredient. So those are really good ingredients for smoothies. And then of course, you're probably going to want to add a fruit because the reason why we like smoothies is because <laughs> they're a good blend of everything and also they taste good. <laughs> So I tend to add banana in my smoothies. That's the kind of my go-to. It is great for texture, but then it can also be really good for potassium, for all those other vitamins and minerals. But you can uh, also add berries. Berries are another really good one. Lots of antioxidants, lots of vitamins and minerals in there too. Now, I would recommend against adding more than one or two servings just because we want to keep our blood sugar levels as stable as possible if this is a meal. But remembering that, yeah, have fun with some fruit, play, play with the combinations, right? Like if you want something tropical, do some pineapple and banana. Or if you want something like a berry, you can use strawberries, blueberries, and raspberries, like have fun with it, right? Smoothies are a way to explore different foods, different superfoods in all in a new different way. And they are literally grab and go. I don't particularly love cooking, but I do love putting together smoothies <laughs> because they feel so much more like a science experiment to me, I think. Like, <laughs> ooh, will this taste good? Maybe, you know, like it's so much more exploratory than it is really cooking. Yes. So my last, I just have one last thing for you. I want to know, what are your essential self-care self routines? How do you find that balance? Well, for me, because of course I've experienced the burnout the two times, I'm very, very particular about my self-care and I make sure that I do everything that I can to support myself. I tend to, you know, because I've gone through it before, I am more mindful about how I'm feeling on a day-to-day -day basis. And I can usually feel when anxiety and stress is starting to creep up. And when that happens, I know exactly what I need to do. You know, I need to just take a moment, 
relax, de-stress, maybe some deep breathing. It might mean some yoga. It might mean some meditation. But then it's making sure that I haven't fallen off the bandwagon, I call it, of having that self-care, self-care routines. Because I tend to have two routines. I have a morning and an evening routine, and they're not really complicated. Anybody can do this. But in the morning, I tend to wake up. And once I've woken up and kind of brushed my teeth and gotten dressed, I'll go downstairs, I'll roll up my yoga mat, and I'll do, you know, five, 10 minute meditation, or even like a 10 minute yoga session. Like I don't turn on a yoga video, I just do a few different relaxing poses that I feel good in, right? And so just simply doing that disconnects me, starts my morning slowly instead of rushing right into it, which I find stresses me out more than anything. And then once I've done that meditation or yoga, whatever I've chosen that day, I make breakfast and then I like to start eating it at home instead of eating it on the go or eating it at work. Usually my breakfast is a smoothie as we just discussed. <laughs> and sometimes those do come on the go with me if I'm rushing or running out the door. But if I can eat it at home, again, this lends to that starting your day in a relaxing way as opposed to in a stressed out way where your hormones are like fight or flight, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be like this all day. And I think most people can probably relate to that. And then my evening routine is sort of similar, but I like to turn off the TV about an hour before bed if I can. Heading upstairs, get ready for bed, brush my teeth, do what I need to do, prepare for the day. So get out my clothes for tomorrow so that I'm not rooting around in the pitch black trying to figure out what to wear. And then once I get into bed, I journal for about 10 to 15 minutes. And when I journal, I use it as an opportunity to get out anything that's causing me anxiety, anything that might be stressing me out. If I'm like, you know, sometimes you just overthink things or you kind of ruminate on a thought, I'll usually journal about that. You know, I've been thinking about this today and I've been stuck on it and I'd like to move past it, that kind of thing. And I find it helps relax me before bed. Like I sleep so much better when I get that out of my mind before I go to sleep. And so your journal can be anything. Like I use it for that. I sometimes use it to gratitude journal. I sometimes use it to set intentions. I know that can sound a little bit more crunchy, but that's just, that's how I like to use it. And you can use it for whatever you want. But I find that it's super helpful for me to have a relaxing, good sleep. Yeah. yeah, bedtime routines are something um, that I think, so they're definitely something that I talk to to parents about all the time about children, right? But there's something that I think can really provide adults a lot of comfort too and a lot of closure to your day. So I'm finding more and more when I bring this up, either people already do it and they love it or they've never tried it, they try it and they love it. I've never yes. had anybody that was like, bedtime routines not really for me right exactly yeah for sure oh my goodness Kelly this has been so much fun can you tell me where people can find you if they loved what you have been saying or if even if they're just a little interested in maybe the nutrition piece or the infertility piece or the hormone piece if they just want to take a peek where can they find you yeah, for sure. So my name, as you mentioned before, is Kelly Agnew. I tend to go by Kelly Maya Agnew online, just using my full name, but I run the business Kelly Maya Nutrition. And so you can find me over at kellymayanutrition.com. That's my website. And when I'm there, I regularly post articles and recipes for those who might be interested to learn a little bit more. And um, in my business, I typically see clients through one-on-one -on -one consultations. I do have a group program called From Burnt Out to Balanced. And so that is a much more, um, I guess, targeted to those who are feeling burnt out, exhausted, and stressed. 
and getting them into that kind of balanced state. And so I do have that group program. It's closed right now. It's going to be reopening again in the fall. If, if anyone is interested, feel free to check out my website. If you join my mailing list, you'll be able to get access to being up to date on that. Um, I am working on right now a five-day nutrition and diet plan that can help bring people back into balance quickly. So it's like a really, really, really trimmed down version of my From Burnt Head to Balance program, like really trimmed down. <laughs> and But this is going to be a freebie and I'm going to have this available in the next few weeks. So if you join my mailing list again, you'll be able to, uh, to get in on that one. I'm also on social media. I'm on Facebook at Kelly Maya Nutrition. But again, I have a private Facebook group called From Burnt Head to Balanced. So if that's something you're interested in, definitely encourage you to come over and check it out. And I'm also on Instagram at Kelly M Nutrition. Wow. Thank you so, so much for being here. I know our listeners as enjoyed this just as much as I did because nutrition and hormones are things that inevitably come up in every single pregnancy. And this was just so incredible. It was super useful information. For our listeners, we also, um, in the show notes, will have the freebie to my blog that has one-handed snacks. So if you've just had a baby, you know what I'm talking about. If your baby's not yet here, you will soon be living a one-handed life because you will have a tiny human planted on your body at all times. As always, Village members, find your tribe and love them hard. Did you know you can join our online tribes? Our private Facebook group can be found by searching The Tranquility Tribe Podcast on Facebook, and our Instagram tribe is at Tranquility by Hehe. If you have a story you want to share with us, please reach out to us at tranquilitybyhehe at gmail.com. Until next time, villagers. <laughs>